up, y'all? Thank you for joining us. Uh, we're going to head right in, as we always do, with a recollection or a reflection. And so this is uh, for the three of you. Uh, I'm calling it Rona Reactions. <laughs> so a few months ago, the news broke about coronavirus, and a lot of folks in our community were making light of it, right? Some folks even said, like, oh, just drink a Corona and you'll be all right. You'll be cured. And then the shelter-in-place mandates hit cities across the globe, and a global we were in a global pandemic. For us in California, this happened around, like, mid-March. Um, and so we want to just ask y'all, like, tell us about your first reactions to when the virus hit and the shelter-in-place, safe-at-home mandates uh, were initiated. Like, what was coming up for y'all? Um, were, you, were you in the lines with everybody at Costco getting water and toilet paper? Y'all still got some? <laughs> uh, I think for what I remember, uh, literally was just the, 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 the TV and seeing you know, like the news about people just crowding these stores. And uh, I think when we went to Costco was when it really kind of hit us that like, dude, something is really going on for people to be fighting over toilet paper. So that's what I remember. Mm -hmm. uh, and I remember, cause you know, I fly a lot. Um, and so when I was seeing all this happen, then I kept seeing like the number of people just like not coming on the planes anymore. And I was like, okay, so something is really going on where we used to be full, you know, to capacity. And like lately the flights have just been dwindling down. Came to a point where I literally only had like one passenger on our flights. And so it's a, it's, it's been interesting um, to say the least for, for me, but what are you? I think for my truck is, you know, I'm, I work here at LAX um, and I think for me was being in shock about the toilet paper. <laughs> On everything, you know, like I'm, I'm a, I'd rather just buy whatever I need. I'm, not, I'm usually the kind of like I just buy whatever I need and then I go home. But I was just shocked about the toilet paper. I think everybody's shocked about trying to get their um, their supplies and whatnot. But that's one thing I was really looking at, like toilet paper. You'd be looking at people that can't breathe, but they worried about toilet paper. <laughs> I think that's definitely shocked me, but. Well, did y'all have any other reactions in terms of like, oh, well, basically. at that time before we got sick, I think that was my only kind of concern because I really, you know, you see it on social media and the news and you're trying to, um, well, you know, I'm, I'm not sick, so I, I ain't got really worried about that type of, you know, whatever's going on. And then when I did get sick, when we both got sick, that's when I was just like, you know, this is real. You know, I didn't hear anybody else have Corona or COVID yet until the point I got sick and uh, my husband got sick. So, um, yeah, that, that was my initial reaction. I think I speak for a lot of people too. Um, they, they really didn't care about anything or were, they were worried about anything unless they went to the store until they heard that, oh, I came in contact with somebody that had COVID. Mm. So I think that, that reaction was the same as mine. Mm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, th I think for me, the, fir the first time where I really felt an impact was actually even before the shelter-in-place orders were um, put into place, was in mid-February, uh, I had a, a meeting in Houston that I was supposed to go to uh, for uh, a federally funded program that's funded by the National Institutes of Health, and it got canceled completely. Um, because, you know, because it's, a, a, it's funded by the government, they wanted to make sure that nobody was being exposed to getting sick 
because of a program that the government funded. So that's when I, at first I was like, wow, it's that serious. And that was like middle of February. So it got canceled at the beginning of February. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I was, and I, through the work, I was actually helping to plan a program that was supposed to be implemented at the end of March. And the first week of March, that organization had to make the decision to cancel it completely. They didn't want to have to take the risk of having um, participants travel mm-hmm. to to Oakland, which is where the program was supposed to be, um, and be exposed to anything. They didn't want to have that on their hands. So they, at the beginning of March, and this was before the mandate went into place, they canceled that too. And so I was like, okay, this is really serious. Um, if these things are already starting to happen. Um, so then when the shelter in place order came in, I was actually really glad that my first reaction was like, yes, I get to work from home. (laughs) I don't have to, I I had uh, just transitioned from Southern California. And so I still was working remote. I still am working remotely for an organization in Southern California um, and was really feeling left out because I was missing out on all the in-person meetings. And so when the shelter in place order came out and everybody was like, had to meet virtually, I was like, yes, now I cannot miss, I don't miss out on anything else. I get to be part of all the meetings. Um, Everybody else was coming to my world of like having to work remotely. Um, So I was a little bit excited about that as a bit of a selfish reaction. Uh Um, But that's where I was. Did that reaction stick? Uh, I still am really happy I don't have to drive because my other job is having to drive up to the Bay Area and I was doing that quite a bit and so um, I'm and I'm an introvert so I like that I get to just stay in my room all day and work (laughs) Um, so yeah I mean it's the the novelty of it has worn off of course but um, yeah I'm I I do feel like there has been a sense of community that's been built because I get to connect with people virtually yeah. and not have to be in place in person yeah I, I know that um, a lot of folks were concerned because you know as Pacific Islanders we we have big families we a lot of us live with our elders and so I just wanted to like um, I just wanted to ask another reflection of like how, was your response to this considering um, your family and yourself and their safety? Yeah. I think um, for me, uh, so we've been with our parents um, and my mom has COPD. Um, my dad, you know, he had open heart surgery years ago, but just, you know, they're all still at home. And so uh, one of the biggest things for me that I was very, uh, that I was always cautious about is um, when I'm flying and I'm around so many people, this is, you know, obviously when everything broke was, what am I bringing home? And so Cindy and I, we made a plan to like, every time I got home from a trip, um, I would always have my clothes in the car. Uh, and so I would, I would strip out, I, you know, change everything and leave my bags and my roller bags and my food bag and everything in the garage before I would enter. And I would come directly in the house and I would go shower and then I would come down. Uh, and this is before like I got any symptoms of, of uh, Corona. And, you know, I think that was just us being prepared because, you know, they were telling us to make sure that you, you know, um, don't bring anything home. So I think for, for me, they were all I was worried about. And then when we actually caught it, I was like, well, yeah, it's kind of felt like we, we did. We tried to do everything. Like we tried to do all the precautions. And uh, I just kind of felt like I was like, dang, you know, we still 
got it. Like we did everything we they told us to do. We tried to follow all the rules, and we still got it. So th- I think it's so major when pe- it kind of when people just they're just out there not even taking any precautions. Just imagine who they're infecting, you know. And then here we are. We tried our best to do everything to, you know, to stay away mm-hmm. from the COVID, and then we still contracted COVID. Right. So. Yeah, so I, I also live with my parents, and um, that they were my primary concern when this information was coming out. Um, and immediately within our own family, um, I told everybody initially, like, nobody can come over to the house. Mm-hmm. And um, I told my parents, like, because my, you know, my dad is in and out of the house. He goes to the store. He does all kinds of things. And so I basically had to ask him to please if, you know, he can go to church and do his gardening there because it's him by himself. But I was the one that was going to go to the store from now on. Um, and so, yeah, immediately we didn't know in, enough information except that you were just supposed to stay away from everybody. Yeah. Um, and so that was initially was just, you know, nobody can come over. Uh, we're going to stay home. And I was going to be the one that's going to go to the store. And that was only like when we really needed it. Yeah. You know, even when I told my parents that, it was very hard for them to uh, to understand what we were asking them to do because, you know, here we are listening to the news and then, you know, getting updates from work because they're constantly changing about, you know, um, how to protect yourselves. When trying to relay this message to our parents, they're like, what are you talking about? There's nothing wrong. I can do what I want to do. And so, you know, just very um, stubborn people. And, you know, and I, and I love them for it, but how do you explain that to them to be like, stop doing the normal everyday activities you're doing and really just kind of wait this out. And, you know, we kind of, they, they kind of um, been seeing what's been happening on the news. Uh, then they get the whole safe at home. And so, you know, I think it, it started to slowly dawn on them. Um, yeah. Even wearing the mask now, it's very uncomfortable for them, yeah. but they have been, been very cool about it because they know what we went through. And so, you know, it's, it's a still a hard conversation to have now, even post uh, COVID. So. Yeah. Yeah, because we know, like, even for my dad as well, like, he's a creature of habit, so it took him a while to adjust yeah. to all the changes, and, you know, like, I, I remember giving him that call as well, and he's like, Dad, you're type 2 diabetes, I need you to stay away, stay home, you know, that was a hard conversation to have with my dad, because he was just very stubborn, he was like, nope, I'm gonna fly here, I'm gonna fly there, and we're like, <laughs> no, you're not, you're gonna stay home, and, you know, I think it took my dad about... I want to say a good two weeks, but it was a good two weeks with CNN in front of his face. <laughs> so, that, thank God for CNN. I mean, this is the only one time that I'm grateful for CNN. <laughs> but yeah, you know, that, you know, because, you know, the older generation, they are just creatures of, you know, they're creatures of habit. You know, they, it just, they'll slowly come out of that place of like finally realizing like this is better for me, but it's just, it just takes time. That's what we got to be patient for. It's just, allow them to just finally catch it, you know, on their time. Yeah. Something I want to speak to really quickly, um, because I know for me and a lot of, I've seen it happening ever since everything happened, is that there's been a lot of uh, funerals in our community. Right when this hit, uh, my aunt passed away and we were like tripping out on how to carry out our culture, right? Our cultural customs of things to do, you know, we were trying to prepare and everything and we couldn't do it, right? And as um, 
as time was passing, it was just like, it felt weird because this is not our normal. You know, when, when it's this time of Falabalave or whatever, like we're running around doing this and doing that and we couldn't do it. We couldn't prepare. And so um, as you all were reflecting out, that was just coming back and seeing how folks are still having to deal with um, losing loved ones. You know, some may not even get the, the, the respect to be with their loved ones as they're passing, which is a big thing for us, or even see them after the fact, you know? And so um, it, it's really, it's really uh, mind boggling to see like how folks, you know, can't take it or not taking it seriously when there's so many cases, even within our own community of folks who have passed. Um, and uh, man, you know, that's why we're here to have this conversation um, because we hope we hope that like y'all sharing your experience, having um, somebody who's on the front lines of like doing this work uh, to bring awareness and um, raise education to our community, that we can um, hit more folks. So really appreciate y'all for your time. Thank you for sharing uh, your reflections. Yeah, thank you both. Thank you all, thank you all very much. <laughs> Yeah, you know, welcome to For the Cultures Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Bex Bumbo. What a joke, my boo. I'm one of your hosts, D-Boy. And as you've already listened to already, we have some awesome guests on the show, on our virtual Telenor with us. We have Ama Tupu with his lovely partner, Siponga Simi, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I did not have to look at my nose for that one. <laughs> And we also have a returning guest, our wonderful, good friend, um, Alisi. She's here to give us some wisdom, some guidance, some insights, some information, some support, everything that we need to know about COVID-19, which AKA I call COVID-19. COVID-19. Nice. So, yeah, um, you know, um, I'm, a, I'm just going to kind of go to you two just to give you, can you both give like a brief introduction about uh, who you are, where you're from, and what you both are currently doing? And your pronouns. Oh, yes. Uh, so and my name's Ama, uh, pronouns he, him, his. Um, I uh, born and raised in Long Beach. Uh, this is my home, Southern California. Uh, currently, I am a flight attendant for an airline that we both work for, you know, because that's every... Polynesian street <laughs> Y'all work for the family business. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, I mean, Simi and I have uh, we've been together, it'll be 12 years uh, in November, um, but we've been married, it'll be two years in August, so. Okay, 12 um, years? Can we just, can yeah, we just, so, uh, yeah. But you know, you know in the got, got, community, uh, that's like 30 years, so. That's eternity, that's eternity right there. 12 years <laughs> eternity, so. I love to see it. This year, or well, a few weeks, I'll be 37. Yeah. Okay. I live right. in Southern California, of course, Long Beach, and I work for an airline. Uh, <laughs> Don't forget your pronouns. pronouns. And my pronouns are. We talked about this. Sorry, I'm kind of <laughs> new to pronouns. So, uh, he is in him. Mm -hmm. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Cute, cute, cute. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Alisi Tulua, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. I am currently a program manager with the Orange County Asian and Pacific Islander Community Alliance, OCAPACA, in Garden Grove. Uh, 
I am a consultant with Juan East Palo Alto in East Palo Alto. Hey. I currently live in Monterey, uh, California, so I'm kind of in between a lot of different things. Uh, but that also speaks to uh, my role in this work around COVID and our Pacific Islander community. I'm a member of the National Pacific Islander Pacific Islander COVID-19 response team, <laughs> which is a mouthful, um, and then also a part of the Southern California and Bay Area response teams. Right. We have and been doing hella work around the census. <laughs> <laughs> yes. She's just an amazing community. She's doing it all, y'all. <laughs> and she also makes time to go on, go on runs. She hasn't been on, a, on any runs yet, right? You haven't been on one yet? No. <laughs> guys are doing their morning walks on. Yeah, we uh, we started a couple of days ago. Thirty minutes is all. Uh, Simi's asking of me, and I've been very <laughs> reluctant to go. But we've uh, we're, we're three days in, so it's just a start. Yeah, keep going. Nice. <laughs> Good job. Well, yeah. we got a lot going in uh, going on in this episode. We're excited to have all three of you on tonight. Um, yeah. Before we kind of get into this Talanoa, um, I'm going to hand it to Danny Boy. Right on, partner. Right on, partner. <clears throat> Again, we want to say thank you all to all three of you for being on the show um, to Talanoa with us about this serious virus that half of our community is taking serious and the other half not so much. And so our hope is, is that we reach more folks and more folks take it serious. Um, and just wanna say thank you to Siponga and Ama for um, your vulnerability to share your uh, stories. And to you too, Pola, for your time and energy and all that you put into this work to empower and educate our community to be safe. So thank you all very much. As we always do, you know, it's protocol. We got to ground ourselves in the conversation that we're going to have. Um, and that could be done in the form of a prayer, a quote, um, a proverb, anything you want. Bex likes to say Tupac lyrics, you know. Um, but we're going to turn it over to the guys at this time to lead us in the grounding. Okay. Um, so this is twofold. There's, um, there's a scripture that, um, that Simi and I kind of live by, um, one that I have uh, tattooed on my person, um, and something that I believe very much in. Uh, and it comes from the book of Philippians 4.13, Philippi 4.13. It's translated in English as I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, yeah. That's something that Simi and I have, uh, have used to help us just throughout our journey of being together um, we're trying to base that um, in the forefront of our lives um, and it's been something that we're continuously doing but it's also something that uh, we do every time after we do a prayer or scripture and it's something as simple as saying me and you you and me and that's how we hold each other accountable um, and it's something that we do every single day uh, something so that just cute. keeps us <laughs> just keeps us um, in, in, the, in the present so if there's anything we can offer to everybody is really just appreciate those people around you um, or whatever it is that means the most to you dear to heart um, and just give give back so yeah man that touched my heart y'all <laughs> don't mind my reaction 
I was just like, these guys. That's such a powerful scripture. And uh, I really appreciate you both uh, for sharing that because, you know, like, especially during a time like this, it's re- we're all kind of going uh, through. And um, that scripture right there, that particular scripture is just, it, it, it hits different. Yeah. It hits different when you're kind of reciting it and allowing that to kind of speak just in your current situation. So thank you so much for sharing that. I'm a- yeah. <clears throat> thank you all for grounding us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm going to turn the tables over to you, Paula. Um, if you could please just, you know, not only are we going to ground ourselves uh, spiritually, but we want to just give definition and explanation of coronavirus itself. So if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, uh, thank you. First first and foremost, I want to say thank you to both of you, Danny Boy, Bex Mumble, um, and for the cultures for making space for this conversation. Um, obviously, we wouldn't be having this conversation if it wasn't something that was really impacting our community. Um, and so we hope that we are able to bring a conversation that is valuable and adds value to people. Uh, to those uh, to those who will listen. Um, so thank you first for giving this time and space. So um, just to give a little bit, and I'm sure that a lot of people already know a lot about uh, coronavirus because it's everywhere. Um, and so, but I, I think it's important at least to ground the conversation in a little, little bit of like the technical uh, aspects of it. Um, so, you know, in general, like viruses, uh, are um, disease agents uh, and you know they are different from bacteria and so the treatments and the approach are also very different um, and so they're smaller also than bacteria so a lot of times viruses can be spread more easily uh, because depending on the way that it gets spread um, and the coronavirus itself, this specific coronavirus that causes COVID-19 um, is a new one that has never been identified before. Um, and coronaviruses is a general um, type, you know, it's a general group of viruses. So many other viruses fall, uh, fit under the coronavirus. And the name comes from the fact that it has these little spikes on it that looks like, uh, like the spikes on the crown like Corona being the word for crown. Um, So that's where the name comes from. And so there are many different kinds of coronaviruses that cause other types of infections. Um, But this specific one is a new one that's never been identified. So that's why what is happening now does not have enough information because there hasn't been research on this very specific one. So information keeps changing because people are, scientists are learning about are getting information about it as it continues to be spread in the community. Um, it is spread through droplets, uh, which means that uh, when you usually it's when you speak. Um, and so if you're coughing or sneezing, um, the the rate at which the droplets get pushed out is really fast and can go farther. Um, but also, you know, you can sometimes you can see when someone's talking, you can actually see spit come out of their mouths. Um, so it's transferred that way. Sometimes you can't see it. And when people are singing or laugh, you know, our people love to laugh really loud. Right. (laughs) And so like, we're pushing out these droplets. (laughs) Um, and so that's how it gets spread. So if it, you know, if it, 
try, you know, God forbid it goes directly into somebody else's mouth who's laughing along with you or, <laughs> or any other opening where it gets, it's in contact with any other kind of bodily fluids, it's introduced to the body. But um, in general, this uh, coronaviruses infect the respiratory system. And so that includes like from outside the nose and the mouth all the way to the lungs. Um, and so that's why it's the symptoms include coughing, uh, which, you know, the, as the body fights off new infection, it, that's why you have fever. Um, but really, it's most, um, the, the biggest impact it has on the, on, the, on the body is that it affects the lungs and one's ability to breathe. Um, and so it is mostly spread through community spread, which means that it gets passed person to person. This is why things like wearing a mask and social distancing are the best preventative ways. Um, because, uh, you know, like because it spreads through droplets, it is most easily spread person to person. So even though there are, uh, you can contract it if it's on a surface, that is a lower risk than if it is person to person, which is why social distancing is important, which is why wearing a mask is important. It's because this is the biggest mode of transmission is through community spread. Uh, so I want to stop there. I think that's like good enough basic information. Yeah, I just, I, I appreciate your, uh, your explanation of that because um, I've seen each, each bit of information as like the whole, the whole thing of how it happens. You know, like it's, we're just being told to do these things and kind of giving like the, the surface level information of why to do it. But I think you breaking it down into those fine points really make it hit home um, a lot harder. So thank you for that. Um, and so this conversation came about because uh, just a few days ago, Ama posted on his Facebook um, that uh, he did a PSA. He had the pew, pew, pew. <laughs> the pew, pew, pew emojis. He said, PSA, I survived COVID-19. And so I reached out to him and I was just like telling him, thank you for sharing that. Um, would you want to speak about this? You know, share because there's power in Talanoa, right? Talanoa is healing, right? As we like to say here on uh, the podcast. And so, um, Ama, I want to ask you really quickly, would you mind sharing the post that you shared on Facebook? No, no, I want to read it. <clears throat> Thank you. Okay, uh, so PSA, I survived COVID-19. Let that sink in for just a minute. If you're reading this, you now know someone directly who tested positive and is still living. All this talk about not being able to breathe with the mask on, is it's uncomfortable. I don't need to worry. I'm healthy. Just shut the fuck up and wear your mask or stay home. Don't be so selfish and careless about others' lives because you're uncomfortable. Continue to wear a mask, social distance yourself when out in public, wash your hands, mind your own business, Black Lives Matter, and be kind to your neighbor. Um. Right. All of that. <laughs> All of that. All of that, bro. Period. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so your post, um, I don't know. I, I've, I don't think I've ever seen anybody uh, share about uh, contracting the virus. I may have missed it. That doesn't mean it didn't happen. But I was just scrolling one day and I seen yours and I was like, oh my gosh. You know, like we know each other through social media and whatnot. Um, and just even being from the same community. But 
to see that it happened to you and knowing you from such a distance, I was like, I don't know, it hit me, it hit me some kind of way. And so um, I just thank you for uh, being here. I wanna ask both you and Siponga to tell us about your experiences uh, in contracting uh, COVID. And who and who caught it first? <laughs> uh, well, he okay. So just just so we all know, Simi was sick um, prior to uh, me finding out, or we both finding out that uh, that we caught COVID. So I think it was at the end of April. I was just coming back from a trip. Uh, I was on a trip in Hawaii for four days. I came back and I felt like my body was just um, it just wasn't right. Like I, I was my muscles. March? March, end of March, right? Because April 5th is when we went in to got tested. And then April 6th is when we found out the results. Um, I came home and I felt like I got ran over by a bus. Like all my muscles were really sore. I couldn't get up. I had a really high fever. Um, I felt like my chest was just, it was tightening up. And I've never felt that before. But even before that, when I was on my trip, Simi was already sick. He said he was complaining about... Um, you know, breathing, and I'll, I'll let him uh, explain his story. Um, if you want to tell you something. So, like the last week of March, I started to get um, like flu symptoms, and you know, that time on the, on the news, you're saying, "Oh, if you feel sick, stay at home," and that's what I did. I thought, and in my mind, I was trying to fight the flu, which I thought it was just a regular flu. Did you immediately did you immediately think it was COVID or you thought I was, was telling in, in my mind I was like no it's not when in reality it was and I kept telling Simi that no it's not you just just brush it off you know it's it's nothing and that literally was like the conversation and it just ended. Mm -hmm. I mean you see in you know just in New York there's like how many people died in the day and they already have trailers out of, you know, dead bodies because they're more safe. So I was feeling some type of way toward that because I thought, oh, if I do go to the hospital, am I really going to contract COVID directly? Mm -hmm. But even though I already had it, so I was starting to feel a little bit better. And right on the sat, the, uh, April 5th, I couldn't breathe at all. Like we even tried, you know, the Vicks, you know, and the boiling water and the, you know, everything. And I used the whole bottle of Vicks. That's how bad it was. It, it was, I couldn't even breathe. I was just burning my eyes. That's how bad, you know, all that, the, the mist was. And I was still, and I was like, damn, I'm like, I can't really breathe. You know, when you're trying, when you're trying to hold your breath and you try to, you know, breathe in a little bit more, you're the already at capacity and you're like, that's what I felt. Mm. I was like, oh, I'm, I got, you know, I got to go. I got I to go to the hospital. So took me to the hospital. And um, right when I got out the car, not even five or six steps, I'm already struggling to breathe. And I was like, man, I didn't even feel that at home. You know, how am I feeling here at the, at the hospital? So I'm slowly trying to get to the entrance. And then we were met with uh, one of the security guards at the hospital and you say, hey, no, you know, it's only one by one. And I'm going to say, oh, I need to drop on my hug. You know, we're trying to see a doctor. You know, it's having a hard, uh, hard time uh, breathing. And then so she you had to go one by one. And I, I went with her. And then I felt like I was in a movie. I, I could see I'm at the end of the walkway at the entrance. And the, the sliding doors, double sliding doors are opening. And they're like closing, you know, slowly closing in. Mm. And I'm saying, oh, fuck. This is the last time I'm going to see you know, the, the person that I love, you know, like, is that the image I'm going to see? That's it, you know? And then, so I was trying to fight back all my emotions 
And then when I sat down, you know, not too long after, then I see Alma coming from the corner. You know, he's, he, he told me, oh, I need to get checked too. Mm-hmm. I think um, the initial thought was when I walked in, because when they, they, they stopped us, they um, took our temperature. So they took him in. Yeah. Uh, when I explained to them my situation that I just got back from a trip and I had the same symptoms, when I got in and I spoke to the nurse while we were checking in, she had me um, uh, wait in, in the little waiting area, but away from seeing So, like, we couldn't even talk, couldn't to, even each talk to each other. Um, it was just, it was, it was so surreal. It was scary. Like, everything was, I felt like it was in a movie. Like, you know, everything was closed off. People had masks. You know, and then when I was in the waiting room, I didn't know I had 104 temperature. 104. And then, you know, the nurses are, like, asking me one more, like, what do you work at? You know, I was like, oh, I work there for the, then there's like all five of them went to the corner and had their little discussion. Oh, he works at the airport. Did you hear what he said? And another one would come to me and I was like, oh, what do you do? And then you know, I will like, say, oh, that's what I do. And then they're like, oh, who dropped you off? I was like, oh, my husband dropped me off. They're like, oh, what does he do? He's a flight attendant. And they all go around to the corner and I'm just looking at them like, bro, I'm trying to breathe over here. Can you guys look at me and help me, you know? And right. Uh, but the, all the, I, I understand, you know, they were scared. I could see it in their face, you know, like people are scared. And it was during that time when there wasn't a whole lot of information going around and people are trying to figure out what procedures to do at the same time. Um, you know, I understand it, but at the same time, I was like, I'm trying to breathe. Like, somebody help me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ama, what was your reaction when um, Sipongo couldn't breathe and it just became too much like yeah so i um while i was on my trip and i kept telling him just to go in you know just as stubborn as i see me is just in, in, in general he just was like no i can brush it off like i can just you know uh i'll be okay but that that sunday when we went in i to be able like he couldn't even like get out a few words couldn't hold a conversation uh and just seeing like the whole body just change completely was i it was it was I mean, it was heartbreaking because I couldn't be there with them. When we went to the back and they were checking us, uh, we were in these white uh, plastic cubicles, so like they blocked the off each, each bed. We were talking to the doctors through the plastic screen. Um, generally, when you know you would get a checkup or nurses kind of like um, check your vitals, all of that is doing through a plastic screen, a plastic cover. You know, they're asking me to do things, uh, talking instructions to me. And so because I couldn't speak to see me, like, you know, a lot of things were going through my mind. Yeah. I ended up being discharged that same day, but they kept him because his oxygen levels were too low. And then um, I was, like, when they were talking to me, they were saying, like, oh, um, you know, you understand it could be COVID. Um, will you let us um, intubate you if we, if it were to get to that point? And, you know, I'm just like, oh, shit. You know, like, I was like, can you please tell my husband in the other room? Um and they're like, oh, he came in with you? And I'm like, yeah, he did. You know, I was, I just, I was just like, I, I really kind of felt alone. And he kind of felt alone too that, you know, like we couldn't really talk to each other that time. Mm-hmm. But I was like, you know, do what you got to do. You know, I, I just want, I just want to live, you know. And I didn't know how the serious this was, you know, until, you know, after doing the tests and stuff and you got to go home. And I was like, man, why can't I go home? You know, like, how do you get home? And I, you know, so they took me to the room, that, which I had to wait. I guess their procedure was only, only a few people can go in the hallways to wherever they need to go. Like, nobody can just go in a hallway and just, you know. So I had to wait for, like, almost an hour. And I got into the room. Um, you know, the nurses were doing whatever they need to do. And 
hooking me up to oxygen, and they're giving me antibiotics. And then um, it was a long night, a long night of prayers, um, you know, and I was just looking at the news. It's still going on in the TV, and I'm just like, oh, man. You know, like, I couldn't talk to nobody. I couldn't see nobody. Um, I think to answer your question, Daddy, but, like, those, the feelings that kind of came up, uh, yeah, I felt, I felt lonely. Um, I was scared. Um, I felt helpless. Like, I couldn't do anything. Um, yeah. You know, just, it was a lot of things, because I think for us, was, this was the first time that we had to um, face something that we couldn't do um, with each other. Yeah, we caught COVID together, but we couldn't be there next to each other to kind of lift each other up. Like, when I could talk to him, it was, uh, it was just via phone. Like, I had to text him. Um, they gave me the number for his room. But, like, even then, um, it just, it, it was, it was so hard not to be able to, like, know. And, and, again, COVID was really brand new. No one knew what they were doing. They sent me home with some Advil. Uh, is it Advil or Tylenol? Tylenol. Like, that was my cure. It was just to go home and then sleep it off. If you can't breathe, then come back. You know, now I know times are, are different where, like, they have maybe more, um, you know, ways to, to, to combat them. But, like, that that's how in the unknown you were. And so we just kind of yeah. had to go through it. Um, and so I was in the room the whole night. I couldn't really sleep. And then the next morning, you know, um, there was a nurse that came. And I was like, hey, you know, I, I did my test, you know, yesterday. I just can, can I ask you a question. And she goes, yeah, baby, what do you want to know? You want to know your test results? I was like, yeah, please. And then um, she goes, baby, you, you got COVID. And at the same time, she's telling me this information. I'm looking at the news, and it says in JFK, um, a certain amount of people died overnight. And I'm trying to struggle, like, trying to keep myself, like, okay, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. And then I asked her, I was like, miss, am I going to be okay? And she goes, we'll do our best. I think at that moment, the only, thing, the only thing I could think of, like, the only thing I think was, I think of, Okay, take your time, Rose. All right. I think the only thing that came over me was I told the lady, oh, thank you for coming to work today. I told her, thank you for coming in to help us. That's the only thing I could do was just thank her, you know? And she turned to me and she goes, what did you say? I told, I told her, I was like, thank you, miss, for coming in to help, help me. I think she was kind of shocked that anybody would say that to her because yeah. throughout the whole night, what people would take my vitals, I could see in their eyes, they were afraid to touch me. You know, they were afraid to talk to me. They were afraid that they just wanted to do what they need to do and go, you know, and, I, and granted, that's fine. You know, like, I know people are afraid, you know. I, who wants to be around anything that you could to potentially take home to your family and then your family could die, you know, like. Right. I think in that, that, that place that time, I was like, I was just like, okay, thank you, God. Like, this is another day, you know. Probably I just need to live in that, that day, that time, and then whatever happens, then it'll happen, you know? Right. That's, that's encouraging to hear, Simi. Um, wow. I actually want to just kind of go a little bit backwards uh, really quick, Simi, because I want to ask, what were your symptoms 
um, while you were in the hospital. And, you know, because I know I, I heard you mention that, you know, you were just kind of wondering why did they let my husband leave? But yeah. when they kept you overnight, what were some of the symptoms that were happening while you were there overnight? Uh, so when originally for me, um, they took an x-ray and they were like, oh, you have pneumonia. So going into it, I didn't know I had pneumonia. I thought it was just the flu and it was just hard for me to breathe when I really did have pneumonia. And then, um, <clears throat> And I think I had like a low fever and that's what people kind of think like, you know, you have a, like a low fever that wouldn't break. They get a low 104, 103, then it'll go back to 90. Back up again, 104, 103, then back down to 90. So that's what, you know, part of my symptoms were. Um, and for Amma, it was just uh, body aches. And, so body aches, um, body aches that I had like, uh, like chest pains, chest pains where like I felt like people were just like, piling rocks on top like I couldn't breathe um and then like uh like the fever so I luckily I'm not luckily uh, I I didn't have um as much of a reaction or responded as bad as Simita because you know because he had pneumonia I, I was lucky that all I had to deal with was just the fever and that was the hardest part was trying to knock it and um I think my fever lasted for about like five six days, five, six days. um and so you know trying to trying to maneuver and trying to live I, I couldn't, it was unbearable, like every day, uh, you know, could barely get up out of bed, you know, like I wouldn't want to take any of the medicine that um, that I was uh, prescribed or my sister was trying to give us. Um, it was just Tylenol, it was just Tylenol. I couldn't keep anything down, like the, like we couldn't, we didn't have an appetite, um, which thankfully Corona gave me like, you know, 15 pounds to, you know, be swimming. But, you know, even, even to be able to like laugh about it now, like that's how serious like it was where, we couldn't do anything. Like I couldn't hold. I couldn't hold anything down. My body was just like it. Just felt like it was shutting down. You know. Yeah. I just I just want to take a, a minute real quick um, to just breathe real quick. You know what I mean? Because as you were telling the story, as you both were telling the story, um, I know for me personally, I see things cinematically. You know what I mean? And so I'm seeing the. I'm seeing you, Siponga, being taken into the hospital and those doors shutting and I'm up behind it, you know, and just as you were explaining everything, you feeling alone and y'all not being able to process this with each other. Um, I, this is a lot, right? It's really heavy. And I'm, you know, thank you for your vulnerability. I want to just have us take a moment real quick to just breathe, you know, because um, that was a lot to share, and we appreciate you for sharing that. Um, let's just catch our breath real quick. You know, like I see, I see you both. You know what I mean? I see you, Siponga. I see you, Ama. Um, man, I don't wish I don't wish that for nobody. And that's I, I think I know. I seen a I seen you crying over there, Paula. Like Sorry. You know, I'm. I'm trying to hold back these thought tears, but you know they be coming out, man. And I just say thank you to the both of you because, and it just feels hard, you know. So, so in when were you released, Sipong? When were you released after after um? being in the hospital and having... Um, luckily, it was just for one night, you know, like, because I think at that point, um, the doctor was like, there's nothing else they could do. 
or they're nothing else. Because there, like I said, there was no other information on how to, you know, approach what people have with COVID. Um, and then they were just saying, here's your oxygen machine. Here's your Tylenol. Let us know if you can't breathe. And I was like, well, damn, that's it. Like, yeah. Like, eat. And then I just, like, just left it like that. Because at that point, I was just like, I just want to be out of home. You know, I just want to go home to my family. Um, so I came home and, um, you know, had my oxygen machine and my family was already um, quarantined and they already, you know, made the preparation for us to be in quarantine while they weren't quarantined themselves. Um, it was a whole family um, yeah, affair. It was like everyone did, did their part. And, you know, I'm so thankful for um, Amma's sisters and his family for, you know, making those preparations for us and being there for us and, you know, while we're sick cooking for us and just build, being real attentive to whatever we needed. And we were, um, I'd say by the fifth or sixth day, being in the quarantine since I got home, um, we were just waiting for the quarantine to finish. Um, I, I'd say, um, I'm a, I was just waiting for Amadi to get his low fever um, checked. And then, um, yeah, by the fifth or sixth or seventh day, we were just pretty much waiting for quarantine to finish. Um, I think just the isolation in itself was um, uh, was helpful. And, you know, when I think when people hear quarantine and when they hear two weeks, that it's two weeks too long, uh, it's, I think for us, it's the perfect amount of time to really just let things, um, let the let the just let the disease or the, the the virus kind of do its course. Um, that's what we needed to just to to rest. You know, the doctor was saying get a lot of sleep. Uh, you know, um, drink a lot of fluids. Uh, you know, really just kind of be attentive to your body. And if you hear anything or if you feel like you can't breathe anymore, then come back. But yeah. those are like the things where you know that two week process gave us uh, enough time to really. Um, figure out what we needed to do for ourselves uh, in taking care of our body, but then also things to get back. Because when, when I was going to get my letter to get released, you know, from the doctors, uh, these are the things that I get on the phone, via telephone uh, interview. Well, uh, he was asking, because I think at that time they gathered more information about COVID. So, you know, asking um, more of like, you know, can you breathe? Can you hold your breath for a certain amount of time? Uh, you know, do you still feel the pain in your body? It's like, how's the fever? So I think that two weeks, Quarantine is, is something that folks really need to understand that it's two weeks away from everybody. We literally closed ourselves off. Um, the only time we left our room, excuse us, is when we had to use the restroom. Uh, and we had our own, yeah. we had our own access. To and that was it. But um, we didn't see our parents. We didn't see anything like when our sisters would deliver the food. They would literally leave it outside our door, uh, go downstairs, and then call Wait, and check us so, and let yeah. us know that, okay, it's ready. Uh, and then, you know, when we sanitize everything before we leave it outside of our door. So that literally was a, it was, it was a, it was a process, you know? And, and I think even after um, we, we were done with quarantine, I, 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 we still had a few health issues from COVID. Um, since I had pneumonia, it's still kind of, it was kind of hard for me to breathe. It's like I had to um, just retrain um, to get straight back in my lungs. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was almost safe for Amo, but, um, but yeah, that's pretty much our reality right now. Just trying to get back to normalcy in, in a lot of things, but at the same time, oh, go, yeah, ahead. Go, ahead. No, go ahead. 
Oh no, I'll just say, but at the same time, <clears throat> we're still trying to be cautious, right, of, of what we do and or where we go. Right. I mean, this even just having this conversation, even you sharing Alma, um, via Facebook and and with those you love, you know, that's <clears throat> a responsible thing to do. And so, big ups to both of y'all for doing that. Um, and so, you you contracted the virus, you went to the hospital, you guys came home and you quarantined. Um, well, I have a question for you, uh, and y'all might know this too, fellas, is that like, if um, the both of you have it, you can quarantine together in the same place, is that is that correct? Yeah, you could still quarantine in the same place. In the same place, oh, okay. And so um, after the quarantine, like what was the process after that? Did y'all have to go, did you have to meet with the doctors again? What was that process? Well, um, for, for us, it literally was a telephone call. Um, I had to give my doctor's note to be cleared, um, sent to me via mail, uh, snail mail at that. They can't even uh, do it, you know, uh, online. <laughs> so I had to wait for that. Um, and then it was just it was just follow-up questions. I know we got called uh, from the city of Long Beach. Um, I, think, I forget what it was, but just to kind of like, you know, they're doing their uh, follow-up on folks um, who contracted COVID, and I think this was information from the hospital, but other than that, it was, it's just, it was a waiting game, uh, really, to see if we were going to get the fever again or any other symptoms that would lead up to it, but right. uh, after getting the clearance, we gave it a couple of days, and uh, the doctor was just saying that if you don't have any symptoms seven days after your quarantine, uh, then you should be in the clear, and so that's exactly what we did. Yeah. Wow. I don't know if you guys mentioned earlier, but you both said that you guys live with family, correct? Yeah. yeah. And um, when you, you guys came home and quarantined at that house, right? Yeah. Were so, anyone in that house, did they, were they uh, catch it from you both? Thank and, God no one did. Really and I think that's because yeah. of uh, how my sisters, and I, and I give credit to where credit is due, like they literally turned this house inside out. And so we live in a two-story right. house. Um, I live with my parents uh, and my sisters. And what we did when we came home, they literally just, uh, just everything that we had touched in the bathroom and stuff like that, they sanitized it all. Uh, everyone was at the house by the time we came home, so we stayed in our rooms. Um, but they made sure that we were the only ones on the top floor. Everyone else was away. Uh, we were still in the same place. We were operating upstairs. They were all downstairs. But how, how great is that, that feeling that none of them caught COVID? Right, but the two of us are upstairs, just you know, kind of being in our room doing, you know, the getaway Corona. But, <laughs> now, it's, now, were you the two now, and Rona upstairs? <laughs> now, were you both eating dinner with family six feet apart, or how was we, that? Uh, we did it together via Zoom. We did our prayers um, through, oh, through Zoom. Uh, our family, um, my uncle and my aunt and my cousins, like they would join in our family prayers. Uh, we had our warriors behind us supporting us 100. So we never felt like we were alone. Um, and I think that's one of the things where everyone understood what Corona, what it does to folks. And they understand the severity of what people can end up, you know, losing their lives. And no one took that lightly. And so I think for our family, we understand that. I just hope other people you know, would jump on board and you know understand that, that that means a lot. Like, do what you gotta do, but you no, know, we definitely have that support. That's awesome. uh, that's what's up. I think on the other side of things, um, you know, we had that support, and then we had other people that would call us, like, oh, right. kind of 
calling us to say their final goodbyes to us. People thought we were dying. Like, like I was kind of uh, and, and, and I, I think a lot of people just, it's their, it's their, their fear of the unknown to let me do what I got to do now to kind of like, I'm so sorry I haven't been there for you. Um, and then there's a the family member who's like, you know, if you weren't, and then I'll say, if you weren't gay, then maybe this wouldn't happen to you. Yeah, I'm going to pray for you. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of things that come up that are negative that, uh, you know, we call, I, and then see me learning a lot of these things where I'm calling people in. Well, I like to hold conversations with folks uh, and people don't like to listen to what I have to say sometimes, but it's just things where like, you can't, you can't say stuff like that and not, and not right. expect anyone to have either call you out or have a healthy conversation, whether or not you think you're right or you're wrong. I mean, let's just talk about it. Well, yeah, but we've lost people. You both are nice because had I had a family member come up to me and oh. say, you know, we, we, we are sorry, but you know, we know you're about to pass. I would have, I would have pulled out my bucket list and said, Hey, a nice trip to New Zealand right now would be, you know, I'm about to die. And also a Ferrari over here, I'm about to pass away. You know, my bucket list would have came out, you know, I have like three days later, like how long? You know, I would have just played with them, right? See, but that's just my personality. You two, you did I would have taken that. I think for me, I was kind of like, yeah, I just kind of yeah. on the phone, I looked at them, I was like, what do you say to them? <laughs> what do you say to that shit? I mean, can we... <clears throat> Can we be there for a quick second? You know what I mean? Because uh, when this hit, when this hit, you know, I, I immediately thought of like um, AIDS and HIV, right? And how that was such a huge thing. Uh, not when I, when we, when, uh, we were all younger, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it hit and it, it was like um, the gay man's disease, right? It was the gay disease. And just thinking about coronavirus and like, oh my God, is this like the same kind of thing? Is it worse? And it's worse, right? Um, and I, I didn't even think that like folks could equate, mm. that, you know? And so to hear that, like folks had the audacity oh, yeah. to say that shit to you, you know what I mean? It's like people are really soaked in their ignorance and oh, yeah. phobia that like, oh, if you weren't gay, if you weren't queer, if you weren't, uh, you know, like, yeah, man, I just... Yeah, this is what this is what living our truth in our life has amounted to. That because we have it, God is kind of punishing us because you know you you are the way you are. Luckily, Simi and I are really rooted in our spirituality and where we understand that um, people are going to say what they want to say. It's literally how we respond to people's reactions, uh, and so we we've come a long way because it hasn't always been like that, and that's the honest truth. But it's just it's easier now to be able to like you know. We know who is in our corner, um, and there is no other, there's no way of us trying to like prove ourselves to anybody else because I'm too old for that. You know, like, I, I ain't got time for that. We ain't got time for that. So, wrong, you know, yeah. and, and that is real, right? Like, it, it's a journey to accept ourselves, accept mm -hmm. our truth. And so, thank you. Thank you both for speaking to that. That's, that's shame on them. <laughs> shame on them, and big ups to y'all for responding in the way you did.
I really, like I, really, I said, I don't have that type of reaction. I would have said, hold up, let's talk about your marriage. Let's talk about your deadbeat husband. Let's talk about your children. Who da 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 da. But it's not about me right now. It's about you two. And we appreciate you two taking the higher road. That's Word, word. Um, we want to ask y'all, and you've alluded to it a little bit, how has contracting uh, the virus impacted your mental health? Because, I mean, just even for me, a lot of things were coming up, you know, you're you feeling alone, scared, you're, you know, thinking about your livelihood, like, I can only imagine. Would you mind sharing with us about how it impacted your mental health? Yeah, um, you know, it's a, it's 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 not it's not an easy conversation to have, and I think Simi and I have uh, worked on our mental health uh, the last couple of years. And um, you know, depression depression is real, and it's uh, it, it looks and it and it does different things for different folks. And I'm only gonna speak for myself, and then I have my husband talk about his experience. But um, my anxiety of being around folks, uh, I just I, I feel like I wanna take myself out of the equation. Like, I don't want to be around anybody. Um, I just, I feel like, um, I feel like I, I think the only way that I can help other people is just to be by, be by myself. But then when I'm by myself, I'm in a place where like, I just, I don't like anything about what I'm doing. I feel like I'm, I'm not um, giving back to folks, but it's a constant battle with like, get up and do something. But in my mind, that's what I'm telling myself when my body is doing something completely different, which is why we started doing our little walks and seeing me kind of forcing me to get up. I, I just, I've been in a, in, a, in a place where it's just dark. I don't want to, I don't want to be around folks. You know, and I love people. And before Corona, I mean, I, I, I would think myself as being a people person. Nowadays, I just don't care to be around anybody. You know, I don't want to, I, I don't want to have conversations with folks. I ignore people's messages, um, their phone calls. Like I'm literally just in my own little circle. Like sometimes talking to see me, you know, it's like I'm there, but I don't process anything you're saying. Like I'm, you know, so those are things that I'm, I'm dealing with. Um, and, and, and how I, how I, uh, how I deal with it is I have been, I've been writing a lot. I've been kind of just having my own little self conversation, my own reflections, and I've been doing things to, to help me kind of get out of that funk and really just stepping outside of my current space because I'm always in my room. Yeah. Um, being outside of it is really helping helping me kind of break that. So that's that's my journey so far. That's what's up. I think for me, uh, ever since, uh, you know, getting over COVID, I've kind of, you know, I'm just a regular person, you know, just go do what I got to do, get my money, then come home, you know, and, you know, that saying, you know, you work harder, you get to play harder. But I think for me now, it's more the quality of life instead of just the quantity of life. You know, um, you know, ever since staying home, you know, being with my family, you know, being with Alma, being with my family, being, you know, with them and just, you know, looking back and you know, I didn't really get to appreciate those things, you know. And I think that's why I kind of, I was kind of, it kind of got me too coming hard, you know, when I went to the hospital, you know, I was like, yeah, hey, you know, but just the last, if, what in my life, if it's the last thing I get to see, to see doors closing, you know, from the person that I love going to the hospital, you know, what, uh, what other things do they do in this life to make anything worth anything, you know, and I feel like, you know, I just want to be home more, I just want to spend that time 
that I lost all these other times, you know. I think, you know, when, you, when you're a Pacific Islander, you kind of have this thing in your mind, like, I got to take care of my family. I got to go, I got to do these things to be happy in this world. But in reality, you know, that's not what you need to do. And I think, you know, self-care, you know, everyone should have self-care, those types of self-care, times of themselves to reflect. Um, you know, like I said, depression is real. You know, I suffer from depression. You know, I kind of don't want to go into certain things, you know, right now. But um, learning from what, you know, going through COVID, I know now like, I need time to myself and time with my family, you know. Mm-hmm. It was never easy enough, um, I think, for us to to call it that, right? To actually name what, what it is that yeah. we were feeling. Um, that that was that that was that was eye opening for us because I think I, I have no one else that I really can talk to and I think Simi understands a lot of things that I'm, I'm that I'm going through but even then I don't share a lot of things with him because I think you really have to well, for me I really have to find ways that make myself happy and I still don't know what that is yet um, and you know I'm I'm working on on naming all of those things but yeah it's a uh, we don't talk about mental. Um, uh, issues uh, a lot because people don't like to talk about their feelings and you know that's one thing that we've changed but i will say after covid um folks have they've, they've shifted and i and what i mean by shifted is that because they know we had it and that we're okay now completely survived it right because other people uh, weren't so fortunate it's just how we approach people generally in the survival community you know you greet people you hug them you give them kisses on the cheek like i know asking for consent is always uh we you should always do but with family now it's like well you know the, the hesitation right when you see somebody oh my god should i hug them should i touch them or you know can i do these things so those are the things that we're living with now where it it, it does something to you it makes me feel like shit like damn I, there's nothing wrong with me like, i'm okay like i'm i'm survived i, I feel good everything is fine just because i had covid doesn't mean that like you know that i'm dead if that makes sense yeah was there ever a point during your time of recovery, both Ama and Avasimi, that uh, where you both felt like we're not going to be able to beat this? This is like definitely beating us. Like, was there ever a point where you both felt defeated and felt discouraged and just looked at each other like, what What are we going to do? Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, you know, we, we, we talked about this. And it's funny you ask because I think about the fourth day, Fourth, fifth day in, um, Simi and I almost tired of it. He was like tired of being sick. Yeah. I'm tired of having this fever. I'm tired of having these body aches. Mind you, I'm on my oxygen and I'm trying to, you know, give him his meds at the same time. You know, we're trying. I think we're trying to take care of each other. And the only thing I could think about was, man, just nothing happened to your breathing. That's all I really care about. You know, have the fever, have the body aches. Just not, don't get pneumonia. You know, that's what it was that day though we had that conversation. We talked about what would happen if we, if either one of us were to pass. Um, and to have that conversation, <clears throat> asking each other like, what would we do if we were to lose one another? Um, we had to face it. And so we talked about if one of us were to pass, like what we would want um, to happen. And so, you know, a lot of people don't want to have that conversation, but we talked about it. And it's it's good to know now because you know we. We know what to expect if, God forbid, anything would happen to either one of us. But yeah, I I wanted to throw the towel in. I was done. I was I I was tired because I, I didn't see any changes. I was doing everything that they were asking me to do, and I still feel like crap. 
and I just wanted to give up. Um, and I'm sorry to interrupt you. Um, just and this was like on your fourth or fifth day. Yeah, because this I, I I couldn't break my fever, and like I, I was just like I was bedridden. I couldn't do anything, and I, I just gave up. Like I, I didn't want to do anything anymore. I couldn't eat. Something I love to do. I, I couldn't yeah. move. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. You know, so I felt like I just, and, and, I, and I laugh about it now, but like in that moment, Lex, I felt like, I mean, I, I didn't feel, I didn't feel like I wanted to continue because mm. who wants to live their life like this, you know? So it's, 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 it was a hard conversation, but uh, we know if anything would happen to, to either one of us, I think that's something that we walk away with in that where comfortable now having the conversation about um and yeah but i mean even y'all saying that right that y'all have had that hard conversation with each other about like if one of you were to pass you know what what would we what would either of you do and that made me think about like those of our those of those folks in our community who don't take this seriously and even outside of the community right like that's one way i feel like we maybe we can um, reach people, right? It's to think about like the person you love, the you have so much love for, and then, and then like think about having that conversation with them because of contracting COVID. Yeah. Right. What does that look like now? You mm -hmm. know. And I thank y'all. Thank you for asking that question, partner. And thank you too for answering it because it that that gives so much more um, meaning to like the the coping and the dealing with. Uh, contracting this uh, virus, you know, and man, just everything, everything is so, I really, you know, we really appreciate y'all just being vulnerable enough to share everything you've shared. Um, man, I see y'all. I, I really see y'all. Alisi, with everything that you're hearing, I mean, what are some stories that you carry? I mean, because you are doing studies around this, right? And just with, um, just kind of with the counts around just, all over the world, right? Uh, people who have um, um, caught coronavirus or COVID nineteen, right? So, what are some some stories that um, are these like similar stories that you're hearing from these young guys? Yeah, um, bef but before I, I answer that, I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, I get really emotional when I hear these stories because I'm working with the numbers every day. And I'm like, we're working with the information every day. Um, I've never had it, thankfully. And thankfully, nobody in my family has had it. And so, you know, as I, as I carry the data, when I talk about the data all the time, um, when I hear people's stories, I, I feel like the impact of it even more because I'm trying to talk about it even though I don't have the experience. So I just got really emotional hearing your story because... I try to relay the same kinds of stories to, you know, to my family, my nieces and nephews, especially like, you know, if, if, your, if your grandparent gets taken by the ambulance, we are not going to see them again because we cannot go to the hospital, you know, like, so you realize what's at stake, right? So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, and so to, to answer your question, Bex, um, so our work is really focused on just the U.S., uh, on the population here in the U.S. And we have been hearing similar stories. Um, and thankfully, we have people that recovered to be able to share their story with us. Um, otherwise, like, we wouldn't be able to tell these stories. Um, 
And so that we, we hear similar stories about like not being able to breathe. Um, you know, and most of the people that actually talk about this are, are the people that ended up in the hospital somehow. Um, I, and so, cause I think the severity actually puts urgency into sharing the story itself, right? Um, and so like the stories about like, somebody talked about how they had to like lie on their stomach in order for them to be able to breathe. Um, and being and being hooked up to uh, a ventilator, um, and so that it's like almost like the end stages of like the point where you can't breathe at all anymore. Um, so we hear a lot of the similar kinds of stories, and you also hear stories of people who died who passed with this, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't. I, yeah, I can't, I can't speak to that. I think um, I've heard a couple of people talk about their family members passing away from it, but that's not, you know, I understand the sensitivity of that and people haven't um, shared about it. But at, at this point, we uh, have more than 100, uh, 100 deaths in the Pacific Islander community altogether. And that may sound like a small number to anybody else, but, you know, you can imagine that from... One cause, a hundred people in our community, well, over a hundred people at this point in our community have passed away. Um, it's a really scary number in the course of like a few months. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's a lot. That's too many people. And you're not making this up, right? Because I feel like a lot of people who feel like this is a hoax or um, they have fake, fake news and fake sites where they get their information from, you're getting you're getting this information from credible sources right so the data that we work with comes directly from the state department of health um data and also the county departments of health data and those uh those are the those those databases are numbers that are reported either from the hospitals or from the testing sites directly Mm-hmm. Um, and so lucky for us and the work that many community members have done over the years, we are able to advocate for our data to be reported as Pacific Islander. Uh, whereas in many, many other cases, it's grouped under Asian and Pacific Islander as an aggregate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so not everybody is just aggregating our data. Um, we have some states where we have high populations like Texas and Arizona who are not reporting our Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander numbers. Mm. Um, but in many, many other states, and we have been able to also to advocate at the county level so that we have more granular data, more local data, mm. um, in, in many of the counties in California, particularly where we have high populations, we have advocated directly with the health departments to please separate our data and report it so we can see it. Yeah. So we're not, this is not just like a Wikipedia, Google search right. number. These are numbers that are reported by state and county health departments. Thank you. Thank you, Paula. Thank you, Alicia. Um, going back to the guys real quick, um, you know, thinking about the numbers, right? Like Paula just said, with the numbers and hearing the story so that they match, right? And they have harder impact. A lot of folks have not been so um, forthcoming, right? With sharing that they've contracted the virus. And, and that's, that can be irresponsible, right? Like, yes, everyone uh, might want to keep it to themselves and that's their business, but 
if it if it can impact or infect other people then you know like they have a responsibility and so like with you um you shared that you uh survived it and you know you did the responsible thing i don't know if it's because i hadn't hadn't uh, noticed it before but ever since i've seen your post i've seen other posts of people um doing the responsible thing and sharing that they contracted it and that they want to uh let folks know because um you know they might they might have contracted it as well and so um thinking back to your post from earlier how has the response been since you posted your status on facebook yeah. uh, so um uh i think the reason why i did this um that that um, original psa is just because so many people were just um just freely just going about, you know, going out there in, in the city, just doing whatever they want to do with no masks. Just, you know, I see so many folks uh, on my timeline just complain about how irritable it is to wear. But um, since the post, uh, I've got a lot of feedback from folks where people were just appreciated that that I said something. Um, and I think it's just that, that thought of, okay, now I know somebody directly who was affected by it uh, and is still surviving. Maybe uh, maybe this will kind of help someone else because they know someone direct. Because a lot of information folks are getting about COVID is just like he said, she said, and like you know, this has nothing to do with them, so they don't have any personal um, like relation to it. But a lot of folks have just been uh, very appreciative that I, that I've said something. Um, then I've got some people who are like, just stop talking about it. <laughs> uh, you know that it's just it's um, I don't you know you shouldn't fear the unknown right because you should believe in God and I do. Right, but it's also that you know the prayers without actions. I mean, it just needs more work. Doesn't mean that it won't. It's not happening, right? I, I welcome the prayers. I welcome the thoughts. But if I'm just gonna say that and not do anything, then I mean, it just it's meaningless. So, yeah, you know, folks have been have been great about it. But then I have folks who just need a little more love and tender care. Yeah, uh, and you know, it's just I, I keep telling folks I'm I'm always calling people, and I may not agree with what you. Well, what you believe in on any sense, but I'm not going to shut down the opportunity to have a conversation or dialogue about it. So, yeah, I would say 75% is good, and then the other percent <laughs> is just challenging, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, like, especially with the prayers, right? Like, <laughs> I know, I know folks, you know, just, just want, you know, like, if we say, if we say we need more than a prayer, right, like, then, then it might seem like we're, um, like we don't have a relationship with God or that we don't trust in God. But as much as we need folks' prayers, we also need that action. Yes. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, straight up. And and also I think it's really cool that like we uh, are seeing more and more folks come forward about um, sharing their, you know, sharing that they contracted it. And the responses on other folks' posts that I've seen, it's been surprisingly welcoming. You know, it's like nice comments like you know it's out of your control yeah you know we're praying for you and hopefully you're safe and your family and stuff like that so um i'm really i'm really happy to hear that like a good amount of the response for you 75 percent has been good you know the other 25 we got to work on them but like it, it's a process it's a process they're responsible for their own shit too you know that part um so if we if we could um, turn the tables over to you, Paula, um, just to get some more of like, just some more information about like data and how it impacts our community. Um, if you wouldn't mind sharing with us. 
Sure. Um, I'm going to I'm going to touch on a couple of just pieces of information based on what uh, Ama and Simi were sharing, um, just to give a little bit of more information in addition to it, because I think it, thank you so much for sharing such a detailed um, story about your experience. Um, so with regards to the incubation or the um, quarantine period, right? So I'm sure everybody knows two weeks, 14 days is when you're supposed to quarantine if you were exposed. Right. Um, that's because that's the virus's incubation period. And so the incubation period for anything is uh, the time between exposure and when the when you start to have symptoms, right? So you can get exposed on day zero and not show a symptoms until day 14, right? Or you could show symptoms right away, um, but the quarantine period is supposed to ensure that uh, whether the ex whether you were exposed and you got the virus, right? So um, so that's one of the reasons why like that's the quarantine period. However, this virus also, uh, some people can get infected and be asymptomatic. So that's another yeah. complication is that like some people have symptoms and some people could be carrying the virus but not have any symptoms at all. So that's another really scary part about this is that if we're being careless and we're hanging out and we think we're okay because we don't have any symptoms, that doesn't necessarily mean you don't have the virus. You could have gotten exposed, and if you continue to be careless, you could be passing it on to everybody else you're around without you having any symptoms. Right. So that's a very specific part about the virus that makes it really complicated. At least really uh, quick, is there um, a process of like, because this is what I, I heard, that you are to quarantine a few days before you even take the test. Is that true? Have you heard that? Because I've heard that. Right, because, uh, yes, because sometimes the, you might not be able to even detect the virus. There's not enough of the virus in your system. So you need like virus load is what they call it. You need a certain amount of it in order for it to be detectable in the test. Mm. Um, and so if you think you are exposed and you don't have any symptoms, yeah, they generally are told like wait a couple of days and then get tested because you might get tested right away and there's not enough of a virus load for it to be detectable by the test. Yeah, so yeah, so that's why generally they'll say like, if you think you were exposed, wait a couple of days before you get tested. But the way that things seem are right now is that there's really limited access to testing. In fact, in California, the governor cut the funding for testing because there were a lot of testing sites that were underutilized. And so they want to be able to use the, um, you know, current funding for things that people need right now. Um, and so people are having to look, um, they either have to wait a few days, maybe even a week to get tested, like somewhere close to them, or they have to like find other testing sites outside of their vicinity to get tested. So my advice to people is if you think you are exposed, look for a testing site and find an appointment while you wait, because you might have to wait a couple of days anyways, um, and then make an appointment for testing um, so that by the time you have, you know, by two days pass, and then you can get tested. Don't wait until two days and then look for an appointment, because then you're going to have to wait two more days maybe. Yeah, because access to testing is kind of like limited now. Um, okay, so that's incubation period and asymptomatic spread. The other thing is when people go to the hospital 
Um, generally, they advise you go to a hospital if you have symptoms like you can't breathe or you have a hard time breathing. There's nothing more that a hospital can do except try to relieve your symptoms, right? So if you're feverish, they try to relieve you from your fever, right? So take Tylenol because it's a fever reducer. Uh, and then if the other thing is you can't breathe, the best thing they can do is give you oxygen and try to get your body to be able to fight, fight the virus out. There's no treatment, right? There's no treatment at all, and there's no vaccine. So the, the best that the hospital can do, so I think for Ama's case, maybe his breathing needs weren't severe enough for them to keep him in the hospital. So they were like, you're breathing okay. They probably measured your level of oxygen, right? And they said like, you're okay. You can just like recover at home. And if you, like, if it gets severe and you can't breathe, then come back, right? So because they don't want to plug up hospital beds because it's so limited. Um, and so that's the most that the hospital can do is try to keep you breathing and try to, like, treat the other symptoms that you came in with, like fever and coughing. So they'll probably, like, give you cough medicine and Tylenol to break your fever. There's nothing more that a hospital can do in this case, which is why it's scary so don't get it at all, you know? Um, so, and then when you're released, they, they don't give you anything more than like Tylenol to make sure like if you're not, if you have body aches, this will take care of it because there's nothing that they can do beyond that. And then they tell you just like, take care of yourself, drink lots of fluids and eat really good so your body heals. That's the most a hospital can do. Um, and that's not because they're being stingy. That's because that's all they know to do. There's not enough information about the virus. Um, the other process that's important for people to know is that when you test and you test positive, usually your health, your county health department will contact you and, and walk you through a process called contact tracing, where they help you think about anybody that you were around for the past 14 days, I think. Um, and then they help you think through it so that you can contact everybody to let them know that they might have been exposed to the virus. So this process is also really important because it's the only way that we can try to like minimize the spread is to get people that, that might have been exposed to you to get tested. Um, so that's, uh, that's called contact tracing. Um, that's something that we're trying to do with the county so that we're hoping that maybe our own community will be more responsive to like a Pacific Islander who's helping them think through this process while also trying to figure out how we can provide them with resources directly. Um, so that's something that us as a response team is um, also working on. Um, I don't know if anybody has any questions at this point before I get into the data. I just really, really quickly want to, um, cause what you said made me think back to what you shared about, um, when the nurse told you that you had COVID and you thanked her for coming to work today. Um, I, I wanted to speak to that because that that's just very telling of like how humble your heart is. That was very like Islander of you, very Pacific Islander of you to do that. And, um, yeah, she was blown away. Cause I'm sure people are like, not thanking her and not doing those things in while in the hospital right like they're just everyone's scared and everyone's yeah. right and so they're gonna behave a certain kind of way and so i just wanted to um highlight that highlight that real quick and thank yeah. you thank you paula for sharing that information um to understand why 
uh, these guys were experiencing what they were experiencing while um, at the hospital. Yeah, and I can't even imagine like how hard it is that you feel like you're choking inside, right? And there's nothing anybody else can do. That I can't imagine how how that feels, um, you know. And so, which is why I feel like telling your story and even me sharing the part about like the technical end of things is important for all of us to know because mm -hmm. we we don't want to put ourselves in that situation. We don't want to put anybody else that we love in that situation. Right. So I'm hoping that giving information both ways is helpful for people to be able to think about why this should matter. Um, so in, in terms of our data, as of today, we have three of our states um, have more than a thousand cases. So the, the state with the highest number is Arkansas, because we have a large Marshallese community there um, that work in the Tyson Farms, which had spread in, within the factory. Um, and they have over 1,600 cases in Arkansas Pacific Islander community. And it climbs so quickly. And this is like the spread really climbed, like it really accelerated over the last three weeks, two, maybe even two and a half weeks. Um, so much so that um, it, it like reached our Southern California Marshallese community because, you know, people are so connected. And when people were getting sick, some of their family members would travel to go help take care of them. Um, and so then now it's, it's like we've seen cases in the Marshallese community in Orange County. Um, and then the second largest state is California with 1,144 cases. Um, and then just today, Utah like went over the thousand mark with 1,034. Utah is also experiencing a really accelerated spread. Um, and so when you think, and I think it's really important, even though I'm comparing across the states, it's really important to think about um, those numbers relative to the population size there, right? So when you think about a place like California, 1144 is a lot of people, but we also have a really large population in California compared to somewhere like Utah or Arkansas that have a smaller population, yet their numbers are relatively close to ours as California. So that gives you an idea of like how quickly this is spreading. I mean, they weren't even these numbers a month ago. Um, and so this is definitely, I can tell from my experience having looked, like followed the number over the last three months that what people are talking about as a second spike is definitely showing up in our community. There's definitely a faster spike of this, uh, of the spread in our community in this last part um, compared to the first part. Um, I just wanna share those. And of course the, oh, the next one is Washington. The Washington community also is a, it's a 815 cases. Um, uh, and in terms of county, um, LA, ha LA County has the largest uh, case number at 422. And that's a higher count than Oregon, than Hawaii, right? So this is a county compared to states. Uh, LA County has largest, larger case number than Iowa, Oregon, Hawaii, North Carolina, Illinois, Colorado, Alaska. Those are states that have their data disaggregated to show Pacific Islander cases. Um, and then San Diego, 
is second at 116. So I just want to share share that. Um, and these, as I said, these numbers have definitely accelerated over the last couple of weeks, which means that it is being spread quickly ever since things reopened, mm -hmm. right, where we live. Ever since the reopening, things have definitely spread. And I can understand why it's happening also in our community because graduations, um, a lot of the different celebrations that people, you know, people trusted that like if it's reopening, it's safe. And so we can get together, which is what was really dangerous about like the reopening and the messaging of it yeah. was just because we were reopening didn't mean it was gone. And for a community like ours that already had high numbers and we're in close proximity to each other, this was going to spread faster in our community than anybody else's community, you know, so... Uh, when you when you look at individual geographic regions, when you compare um, the data, when you take the data uh, relative to population size, our case rates are higher than any other racial or ethnic community because we are relatively small, yet our case numbers are high. It's it's way higher than the percentage we make up in that region, and so that's why we say that we are disproportionately impacted uh, by this. So I'm gonna just talk a little bit about the why those numbers are high in our community. Because I think it's important for people to understand that. The number one thing is uh, when the CDC says that populations who have um, underlying conditions are at higher risk of severe illness, we are definitely that community. Because the list of underlying conditions, all of them are high in our community. Obesity, diabetes, if you're on dialysis, if you have kidney disease, if you have respiratory disease, um, if you have liver disease, if you're immunocompromised, which means if you are in, if you have cancer or any other major uh, chronic disease with that your immune system is compromised, then you're at high risk. All of those are at high rates in our community. And so our community is already at high risk. And usually these conditions you see in older populations, right? In any other community. In our community, these these conditions exist at younger ages also. So you don't just see it in older population. You see heart disease, diabetes in younger populations in our Pacific Islander community. So even younger people are at higher risk because of underlying conditions. On top of that, things like we have high essential worker rates in our community. We have many people that work essential, essential jobs sometimes two jobs, sometimes three jobs. So sometimes you go from one essential job to the next essential job before you come home. So your risk for exposing yourself is even higher, right? And so when you come to a home where we have um, multiple families into one household and it's a little bit crowded, right? Because we are in close proximity to each other, then you even increase the rate of being able to spread it at home. Um, add to that the fact that many of our households are multi-generation and we have older folks that live with us. So if we have a lot of young people who are working essential jobs that bring something home that is going to pass on to somebody that's a grandmother or an elder in the family, there's higher uh, likelihood of that happening in our population because we live in this multi-generational homes. And then last but not least, that our, just, our culture of gathering, right? It's hard for us to not gather. It's hard for us to see each other and not give each other a hug. 
And so like these, these things that are essential to our identity as Pacific Islanders are also things that make it hard for us to stop spreading this virus. Um, and so if we're just really careful, if we just don't care, we don't think it's real, all of these things make it exponentially higher for us to pass this around. Um, which I'm suspecting is what's already happening in our community. And so if we just, you know, love each other enough to, to follow some of the things, like at least, if you at least wear a mask, right? Like you decrease somebody passing something, like somebody spitting on you when they're laughing, or even you spitting on somebody else. Um, social distancing also. So some of the, when you practice some of these um, you know, recommended behaviors together, it decreases the likelihood of us spreading this. So those are the main points I wanted to make about this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, I mean, I'm even reflecting on like, where have I been in the past, you know, couple of days and um, I guess a question I have to those points you made is that like, what should we be considering when stepping outside of our home and going to, um, let's say we go to somewhere that we trust and it, it, we, we, we think we know that it's yeah. safe. Um, what are some of the things that we should consider? Yeah, so I think, you know, because we exist in relationship with, as family, uh, really close relationships with each other, I think it's important that we let all of our families know that they should limit their interaction with people they don't know or people that, you know, like you don't know where any, everybody's been, right? So just to limit their interaction with outside people, right? So, um, and so then for you, when you're interacting with like other family members or somebody from another household, it's good to be aware of like, is that a, is that a house where like lots of people come over or are, are they good about, you know, like staying at home, right? So you have to weigh that um, for yourself. I think the other thing is when you're stepping out, like you, you have to be consciously thinking like, okay, if I'm gonna go to the store, am I gonna go anywhere else? Who, what kind of people am I gonna put myself around? But if you're just gonna go to the store and come back, right? Like need, you need your mask, maybe you wanna wear gloves, maybe you wanna carry your uh, sanitizers. Most stores have sanitizers at the entrance when you walk in. Yeah. Um, but but I, I like so when I go to the store, I go okay. What do I need to get? Uh, so what aisles? You know, like I have to think like okay, I, I gotta go to produce first, and then like go down this way so I don't go this way. I don't go back and forth, <laughs> right? So yeah, I have to be like really methodical about like I don't need to be at the store longer than I need to. Yeah. So. I gotta have like, I gotta be organized with what I need to get so that way I could just get it. And I'm terrible at, if somebody's walking towards me, I start to like, like I just walk away. I just make sure that like, don't walk too close. Yeah, cause I'm, some people, they don't care. They're just like walking straight. And I'm like, I'm yeah. here. I just like hug the aisle. Like I don't, don't get close to me. <laughs> and I mean, it seems exaggerated, but yeah, I don't, I care about my parents. I don't want anybody accidentally coughing on me or maybe purposely coughing on me. And then I bring that home. So I think it's good to like take inventory of where do you need to go exactly? What do you need to do there yeah. so that you can minimize your interaction with like strangers or people you don't know? 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then be, you know, like when, if there are, if they, if it's family members, I think it's important that you let everybody in your family know what's at stake and that if they've been around other people, please, please don't, don't come over. Um, I tell that to my nieces and nephews who are in high school and they go hiking, hang out with their friends. Like if, if you, if you hang out with your friends, like it is your responsibility to know that and not come over. Or if you come over, you can say hi from the door outside. Um, take that up. They take that responsibility upon yourself so that nobody has to call you out to do it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like just culturally, um, it's just really important that we just emphasize the why. This is why. Like I heard you, Alice, because I love my parents so much. And this is why I do A, B, C, D, E, F, G. You know, because when, when we talk to our family, when we talk to our friends, all they hear from us is, you need to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G. But really, what I feel like we should be talking to them is about like our parents our young, you know, like our, our partners, like people are, can, can be affected by this and this is what's happening. You know, I think, I think that story needs to be pushed out a little bit more than you need to do ABCDE because like, from my experience, my family, they won't do ABCDFG until we tell them that's high, high risk. You better slow down. Like it's important. We want him to live another few years we want this we want our children to feel safe we want we want to be able to pay rent so in order for us to pay rent we got to work and in order for us to work we got to be healthy you know like you know just list the whys Mm -hmm. and just keep telling you know families like guys let's if we love our family if we love this if we love that we need to eat you know keep pushing that narrative out instead of like yeah i mean it's it's also important to to tell them the the you know everything that they the proper process that they need to take but like yeah. make sure we balance that out like i really love what alicia was saying she was telling us a b c and d but she i also heard i love my dad i love my family it's right. important that we stay healthy you know right. like so i heard that and now i'm like okay because i've been pushing more of like you guys need to work look you guys need, and now i'm like i we i need to keep telling them like hey our dad hey on my job i need to be healthy i can't afford living out here if i'm not healthy y'all yeah. like help me out you know so i really appreciate that Lucy. thank you so much i think even like how uh i'm a sisters you know like um mm-hmm. how y'all shared about like they disinfected everything yeah. and like tore it you know tore, tore the house upside mm-hmm. down to make sure everything was clean and that shows like how much love they have right like mm-hmm. think about the whys um yeah which brings me to a question we got on uh, Twitter. Uh, we posed the question of like, what to Pacifica Twitter, um, you know, what do they want to know about COVID-19? And let's see, this one is from at MF Penn. He says, why do we wait until someone we know gets it to take the pandemic seriously? I feel like, you know, that's kind of a internal question not necessarily uh, related to science but <laughs> maybe evil. i mean it I could know. be what do y'all think i mean i'll go ahead i'll i have my thoughts i'll share it after i mean it's you know it's behavior that we're not used to practicing right so I mean, this is not this is not specific to COVID. When you tell people to get regularly screened for cancer, like when you by the time you're 40, make sure you get regular mammograms. 
it is it is not part of our normal natural behavior to think about these preventative things because most times it feels selfish right it most times it feels selfish to make a doctor's appointment regularly to see the doctor most you know so i think the way that Western medicine or the way that medicine and health is framed for us in this society is always framed in a very individualistic way, right? And so it's like you take care of yourself, right? So so it's hard for us to immediately take on a new behavior because it is always framed as like you taking care of yourself, make sure you're responsible for yourself. And so the framing of health messages is always is counter counterintuitive to our community, right? Because imagine a society who's talking about health in a way that we take care of each other, right? You, you need to be alive because your children depend on you. And so in order for you to prevent or to detect breast cancer earlier, make sure you get screened every year after you're 40, right? Imagine if, if like messages were given to our community in that way that we are able to take it exactly the same way that Bex is saying. I like, I am careful not for me to be alive. I'm careful for my parents to be alive. Like that's more important to me than the individual thing. Right. So that's why it's, it's hard because first it's not a behavior that's normal to us to, to be preventative, especially in terms of like Western medicine. Second, the messaging of this is always driven at the individual and not driven at the, at the community. And so then it's like just hard for us to adopt new behavior. Right. We don't want to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, to, for, for me, the way I, the way I, I hear that question um, goes back to maybe some of the messages that I learned growing up where a lot of times, and what I see is that we generally don't respond uh, until something happens. And I think that's just been like that natural flow of, uh, of how I operate. And so I procrastinate because of this is what I've seen and this is what I've done. And maybe that's like, you know, uh, my internal messages to myself, like, oh, shoot, that's how my family responds to it. Then that's how I'm going to do it. So I wait until the very last minute. And then I'm trying to pile every single thing that I see, all kinds of information, you know, things that probably don't even have a source. But now I'm just putting on all kinds of stuff and I have too much information that I don't know what to do with. So yeah, I just, it really is up to the individual. And I mean, I would say it's cultural, but I mean, I, I can't speak for everybody, but I will say that it's uh, it's definitely something where um, we, I, for me, I learned the hard way and then I always, I'm always too late and I don't want it to be like that. And I think that's where us experiencing COVID has kind of flipped our mentality and way we operate stuff. So <clears throat> it's, it's everyone in their own journey, but I wish folks would have, you know, like what Lisa was saying, just really be prepared and really, you know, think about what it is and how other people are responding or are affected by the choices that you make. Um, and I think we can get there. Yeah. Eventually, right? Yeah. yeah. Just a quick question, Ama, uh, to Ama and um, Simi. Let's say that, um, Simi, you were the only one that um, tested positive and um, Ama, you tested negative. Um, would you still put yourself um, around Simi, knowing that he's positive? So, um, yeah, I know that was, uh, you know, it's funny. <laughs> we, uh, when we both testified, so 
my sisters had asked that, and um, I, I didn't even know how to answer it, but they were saying, do you quarantine in separate places? You know, like, yeah, we both have it. Um, but I, I, I think my selfish answer would be yes, because I don't want to be away from him, right? But the logical and the best way to respond to that would be, um, no, I have to be somewhere else and let him be in his own space. But I know how I would have been. I probably would have still stayed by his side. That's fine, not the right thing to do. No, I know it's not the right thing to do, but that's what I would have done. Um, and I, that's how I would have showed my support, but then also my stupidity, because I mean, I can't be that selfish to where like, if I'm there and I catch it, then I can spread it to someone else. So yeah, it's a twofold thing, but. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. real as fuck. I can imagine the fuck. I mean, bet, I mean, partner, answer the question yourself. <laughs> yeah. No, I would I'm, do what I mean, would, would have done, would have done. Yeah, no, I mean, I've had this talk with my partner as well, and, and we both were just telling each other, like, uh, no, I'm not leaving your side. You're not going to go through this alone. If I catch it, I catch it, and we're just going to, you know, figure out how to just, you know, heal and support each other in that. So, you know, it's a tough question, you know. I mean, and I would say that even for my dad or someone who's not able to support themselves, like, if they, if they if he caught it, for sure I'm in there. Like, yeah. I don't care. Yeah. You know, so it, it's... It's a, it's a tough question, but it's a much needed question to have, you know. Yeah, tell us. Well, we're, we're single, Polo. I mean, what would you do? Because if, if it happened to my parents, if it happened to my grandma, I'm get, I'm, I'm, I'm not leaving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not I leaving this time. I'll get it, I guess. And, and you know, whatever, like, I think there's, a, you know, there's a way to do it without, like, taking on the virus ourselves. Like, you can... You know, do you see the healthcare providers at the hospital, like they take all the precautions, like you can wear protective, um, you know, equipment, you can wear gloves, you, can, you know, like you can be safe so that you also are making sure that it doesn't happen to the rest of your family while you also are able to take care of your family member. So there's like, you don't have to make that hard choice. You can actually take care of somebody and try to be as safe as possible and not leave their side. Yeah, I mean... I wanted to share a story about a woman who, you know, who got interviewed, like she and I were on, like on a similar thing where we got interviewed and she talked about how she lives with her daughter and her daughter's son. And then she got a call from her daughter saying that she had tested positive from somebody at work um, and just devastated her because, you know, it was her and her son. And I think like they ended up like taking the son to another family so that the mom can quarantine. But her daughter was asking her mom to please go get tested because they live together. And the mom was like, she was like, at first I didn't want to get tested because I was too scared. What if I have it? Um, And at first she told her daughter, no, I'm not going to get tested. And then she like, and then she went home and she saw her daughter's face and she just broke down because she was like, I couldn't imagine my daughter going through this on her own. Mm -hmm. And so like, I need to go get tested so I make sure that at least if I'm positive, I get to be with her and we can, like, heal together. Um, and she was telling the story. She was crying because it was, she was saying at first, like, she wasn't, she refused to go get tested because she didn't want to have to face the reality of being told that she's positive. But then she was, she said, I'm glad I was positive because at least I could quarantine with my daughter and we could take care of each other, hmm. you know, so... I don't know, it just, that story was always just really touching. But that's also another mentality that I come across with a lot of our folks is they don't want to get tested because they don't want to find out. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh, man. 
I have another question uh, from Twitter. Um, it's from our friend. He's been on the episode before. Shout out to David Utsuhone. Um, He asks, with some workplaces opening back up, are there protection measures or labor laws in place for us, especially those of us um, with pre-existing immunocompromising conditions that allow us to self-advocate to our employer about returning without it risking our job security? Um, I know that the government have put, you know, there are guidelines for all of the different kinds of spaces. Like they have guidelines for churches, right? Like you have to follow these guidelines to make sure that your place of worship is set up in a way that uh, promotes distancing, that like limits the spread and contact. Um, so there are definitely guidelines for like workplaces and all of the different kinds of spaces that are allowed to like reopen. Um, I'm not sure about, I think it is probably up to the workplace whether they grant, um, you know, the, their workers to work from home if they have pre-existing conditions. I'm not sure about what the policy is with regards to like what is mandated or what is put in place by states. I don't know. It might be empl employer specific. Okay. Uh, and that makes me think of uh, a question for you two gentlemen is um what's what's it been like with uh, your workplace and the response or unresponsiveness i think um the the initial reaction when um i uh when i explained that i i got covid so i gave the call to my employers uh it was more of just like let's keep it on the hush uh you know i i so i like i said i'm a flight attendant so when i was flying my trips uh, and then I got tested, um, and I um, and I was positive. I explained to them, you know, the, what had happened, and I um, I went to get tested. These were my results. I then immediately told the people that I flew with, you know, the last couple of trips, just because I wanted them to know, as they were, um, you know, we were in the same same plane, same place. Uh, then it was just kind of like this again. It's at the very beginning. No one knew what was going on. It was like, okay, well, let's not tell anyone else that you had it. And I'm like. I can't be that irresponsible and not let these folks know. Right. And so I'm like, okay, you know what? Fine. Let's just, let me do my two weeks. I did it anyways. Uh, I messaged every single crew member that I flew with because I can't on, on my, my, my own conscience know that I didn't let them um, at least give them the opportunity to go get tested or whatever that is. Um, fast forwarding now, I think there are a lot of measures where uh, going back to work on the aircraft, I have to have a mask. There's, a, there's the, we keep the middle seats open now where we book at certain capacities, you know, so people aren't sitting right next to each other. So it's, it's a, it's a whole different ball game. Um, and you know, this airline industry right now is just, you know, it, it took a hit just like a lot of other businesses. Um, but I'm, I'm thankful to still have a job and be able to be safe, um, at my job. But I had spoke to, um, Danny Boy and Bex that, post COVID, like me wanting to go back to work right now, it's just, I just don't feel it. Like, I don't feel like being around people. I don't want to be in, you know, this plane locked up for hours on end in the air with nowhere else to go. Um, I don't want to, you know, be in states where, you know, the the, the COVID um, cases are just completely high. You know, like I'm always, I'm doing, I do nothing but domestic flights. And so I just, I don't want to be around any of that. And so like right now, that is what I'm, I'm, I'm working through and trying to process because that's that's my livelihood, right? So how do I take care of myself but still be able to provide? And so 
But I guess it's different for me because I'm in the air and Tony's uh, on the ground. So yeah, for me, being work, working on the ground, face to face customer service, um, I think my I'm thankful that my job has taken those certain precautionary steps to try to keep everything sanitized, even on the aircrafts in between flights and also practicing social distancing um, as we board. And and also we do have other um, like, like masks available for passengers that, you know, that don't have a mask, you know. And we're pretty um, forthcoming with all the information um, with the public on uh, how we try to keep everything sanitized, which I'm really proud of um, at work. And I'm also thankful that um, they're um, keeping us informed um, you know, with everything that's going on. And also try to, you know, they're always trying to tell us, you know, you need to wear your mask, you know, practice social distancing, even even in, in, in our break rooms. So we try not to congregate all in one space. Um, and then, you know, our management, they're pretty like, hey, you see you guys are in too much of you in one place, you know, try to spread out, you know. Um, they're pretty good on that. So um, I'm pretty proud of that, you know, working yeah. for my company, especially when I see that's going on. I've seen another airline, um, you know, they're just kind of overcrowded. They, they book their flights to full capacity. You know, um, mm. I think at this time it's kind of too, with everything that's going on, it's kind of too early for all that. But I do know, you know, business is business. You know, people need to make money. You know, people need to go to work. Things, our economy needs to restart. Um, but at the same time, like I said, like I, I try to choose what days I like to go to work. I'm not trying to be at work every day, you know, and only because like, um, I'm still kind of nervous. I'm not going to lie. I'm still kind of nervous going to work. Um, I'm not able to breathe like I used to breathe before. So um, I think mostly when I go to work, I'm always trying to make those opportunities to what can I do to um, be safe when I come into contact with another person or with my coworkers, you know, like what can I do to, what precautions can I take, you know, for them? Uh, that's what I really, you know, that's what I mostly look at, you know, when I, when I, whenever I go to work. Yeah, work is pretty okay, you know. I'm still thankful, like Alma said. I'm thankful too, you know, to still have a job to go to, you know, for the time being. Good for you taking, you know, thinking about all the precautionary measures. Yeah, we have to, right? Yeah, thank you for that. Um, I have a question for you, Bola, about the antibodies uh, with the coronavirus, because <clears throat> I know a lot of folks has, have um, compared it to like getting chicken pox, right? And like, oh, mm -hmm. if you, you get it once, then you won't get it again. Um, I know there's also like testing for the antibodies, but uh, could you speak to that a little bit? Because I know that um, there has been conversation too uh, around reinfection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's not enough information about this brand new virus to know that information. So uh, early on, there, you know, some studies were showing that, or some, I don't know if it's studies or but there was information out there about, you know, once you get it, you have the antibodies and so you're immune to it because that's generally what we know about disease agents, right? So, but not every virus is the same, which is why the flu is something that happens every year because even though it's the same virus, it is a slightly different strain every time, right? So uh, if it, you know, so coronavirus is the same. This is new. We don't know whether you have built immune immunity to it, right? Like if you have it, you can't catch it again. We don't know that. Um, and so 
that that information takes a long time for scientists to gather information and study. Um, and so, and, and then there have been studies that have shown that like, just because you have the antibodies doesn't mean that you can't, you can't get reinfected. So at this point, we just don't have enough information to say anything definitively about it. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah, I just want to make sure we hit that point because I know that's something big. A lot of folks were like, oh yeah, I won't get it again if I have an antibody. But that's, that's not true, right? That's not true. No. Uh, yeah, we don't know enough, enough information about it. I, and I think the other point to make is, uh, is that some people might think that once you test negative, that you're good forever. That's not true. Like you could, you could go get tested and test negative and then in the next 30 minutes catch the virus. Um, and so, you know, that's why for people that are essential workers, a lot of their employers put measures in place for them to get tested every month, for example. Mm. Um, and so a lot of workplaces that are essential workplaces have those measures in place. They want to make sure that people are not getting infected. So all of their, actually a lot of places you have to get your temperature taken every time you come into work yeah. and employees have to get tested like every month or so. So just because you test negative doesn't mean you will never catch the virus. Thank you. Um, man, this has been a fruitful conversation through and through. Um, thank you very much just for sharing your stories and uh, your feelings and your knowledge around uh, the coronavirus and COVID-19. Um, before we begin to wrap up, I just want to ask y'all if you have any other questions for one another. Uh, partner, if you have any other last questions. That's it. Thank you. Thank you all so much. I really appreciate this conversation. Cool. Yeah, uh, I think. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I just had, I keep forgetting to, I keep forgetting to make this point. So the virus that causes the disease is called coronavirus. The disease itself is called COVID-19. So that's just a little bit of a difference. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. The Rona, you know, is a part of me. Thank you for that clarification. And really quick, I think you, I don't know if you mentioned already, but you said that um, you can catch it again, right? If you, if you caught it the first time, there's a second and third time you can catch it, right? No? We don't know. Mm. Yeah, we don't know. And I know that's not a comfortable answer. Because uh, people are like, no, we want to know yes or no. We don't know. We don't know whether yes, he can get reinfected, and we don't know whether no, you cannot get reinfected. We don't know. Yeah. That's the safest answer. Like, take take precautionary measures, and we won't have to find out. Right. Yeah, and by we, I don't mean me. By we, I mean like the scientific community right. that is looking at this. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, well. Before we get up out of here, we, you know, there's just a lot that's been going on and I want to um, just have us take uh, a quick moment to do some ICUs uh, because there's some really uh, important folks out there that, um, you know, I, I feel we need to just recognize them and uplift them. Is that cool? Um, let's have uh, the fellows go first. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I want to put a shout out to my aunt, uh, Lisa Layats, who's in Southern California, Carson. She's part of the COVID response 
the Pacific Islander um, community. Um, I think for her, she said she started it because when she first heard our story, that's when she put into full gear mode. She really wanted to help our community and put that information out there for everyone. So I want to thank that team. So, yeah. That's what's up. My ICU uh, is for a longtime friend of mine. Her name is Valerie Dixon. Um, she identifies as biracial. Biracial. She's uh, black and she's white. But she's uh, been um, a really good friend of mine um, and has been very supportive uh, in this journey with COVID. Uh, you know, initially finding out the whole um, uh, my journey with it. But she's also been a social justice warrior where uh, she's continuing this fight for Black Lives Matter. And even despite all of this that's going on now, that she continues to be that supporter. Um, she holds space for me. Um, uh, throughout uh, my my cries and my, my, my lowest times, but uh, also celebrates me at the highest and other folks. Um, she's local here in Orange County. Um, but yeah, I've been friends, with, I've been doing work with her for the last what, 20 years. Um, and so just a shout out to her. I see you. Thanks. Thanks, Ava. Yeah. Yay. How about you, Paula? Who's your um, Yeah. Uh... This is hard because <laughs> um, I, I just changed my mind like last minute. Um, my ICU goes out to um, somebody that I only know through Instagram. Her name is Lilika Funaki, um, who in the most recent months have been a huge um, amplifier of so many different things um, and has been talking about Black Lives Matter, Indigenous rights, and is just really building a lot of information and you know, she's, uh, she's from Hawaii, lives in Japan, um, but she continues to uplift a lot of different issues. And as a, she's an LDS member and is challenging a lot of the structural things that comes with being in a community of faith, especially mm -hmm. around like racism and around a lot of the different issues. And, and I just, uh, she's part of a, a tongue and language group with me. And every week, it, it is kind of my my medicine. I go to that space. Right. Uh, we learn about culture and language, and um, she continues to facilitate that space for a lot of us who need space to heal. Um, and so I just want to, um, like, tell her that she's so important to all of this for the rest of us. And I see you. Yay. Can I ask really quickly, what was the, what's your word this week? Your tongan word this week? Um, actually, this week we we they practiced the tongan uh, introduction, which Danny Boy learned how to do years ago. See, he still remembers. Everybody's practicing their uh, tongan introductions, and then we went through a list of uh, tongan political words, and so and we're reading them in tongan, and then uh, we're trying to see whether like it's an accurate. Uh, translation. So we've looked at things like communism and homophobia um, and how those are translated into our own languages. Mm -hmm. So we didn't just go through one word, but we've been kind of going through a process of learning how these are translated and whether it's accurate. Mm. That's dope. And how about you, partner? Who's your ICU? Um, 
my ICU goes out to everyone who is wearing their mask, who <laughs> has an extra mask, who carries an extra mask in their car, and the extra mask in their purse, in their bag. Okay, like, and, give, me the, uh, give me the mask, I got you. <laughs> I mean, those are those are the superhero superheroes now, you know, those who are wearing their masks, those who are just taking all the necessary precautions and are not afraid to do it, you know, because I know that again people get teased at for this you know they they get made fun of so i appreciate i salute everyone who just has the courage to say i do not want to catch anything so i'm wearing this so we salute you all and we just are grateful that everyone's still doing it and i encourage everyone to still do it don't stop wear a mask on top of your mask if you have to <laughs> word, word. But yeah i see you to all of you uh thank you everyone um lastly my icu uh, I want to send my ICU out to these four individuals, these four women, Alanis Tupuola, Leah Kaulave, Diamond Letelemana, and Divine Taylor. Um, these young women are family members of mine. Um, a video just went viral last night or this morning of um, them being pulled over by San Francisco police. Um, let's see. They... They were, they were mistreated, they weren't read their Miranda rights and violently demanded that they get out of the car, pointed loaded weapons at them and handcuffed them. Um, we know there's a lot of conversations going on with defunding the police um, and what we're saying, what the family is saying as of right now is defund San Francisco Police Department. Mm -hmm. um, this is unacceptable and they should not have been mistreated this way. Um, I believe the story that I'm hearing is that something happened with a young boy and they were trying to help him and um, the police the police stopped them. And I just wanna uplift these four women because they are going to have to heal from this traumatic experience. And it could have, it could have been done in a whole different kind of way, okay? And so, uh, just with everything that's happening, you know, I want to uplift these four women again, Alanis, Leah, Diamond, and Divine. I see y'all. My heart is with y'all. Um, and defund the police. And um, let's, let's, let's amplify Brianna Taylor's voice. I know that folks have been saying her voice uh, or her name is not trending anymore and her murderers are still out there free. Let's keep making noise and keep amplifying that y'all and hold all law enforcement accountable. Defund, defund all them motherfuckers. <laughs> um, period. No. <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, thank you all so much. We've come to the end of this. Uh, before we head out of here, thank you all again so, so much for your time, your energy, and your vulnerability, and your knowledge. Um, any last words that you just want to share with the community that you want to put out there so that um folks just folks can just get right yeah <clears throat> i think uh for me one last thing i mean this is something that i learned um in training and i think i've really gotten uh, in training before a flight center but then just something that i practiced in my life is that don't make easy hard you know as long as you follow what what's asked of you and and, and you love the person that's next to you your family just wear a mask i mean be separated you know social distance yourself and just just do it. I mean, if I feel like if you follow that, 
2020 will just, you know, happen and, it, you know, 2021 will just be a better year. But, but just practice that and just don't make easy hard. Sound advice. Um, I, I think the last thing that I want to remind people is that we come from a culture that's centered in love and all of our practices are rooted in love. And so in this time where we see the numbers in our community, we need to practice that same form of love and, the, and not just in practicing it, but like the way that we practice love is always really immense and meaningful. And so that we can practice this form of love in a different way where we care to make sure that people stay alive and that our families are healthy. And so let's continue to practice the love that we know exists in our community in a different way so that we continue to keep our elders alive who hold the wisdom of our culture, that we make sure that the grandparents of our children stay alive, and we make sure that everybody else in between you know, all of our brothers and sisters, everybody is alive to make sure that our community is thriving, our culture is thriving, and that we have a better future. Amen. <laughs> Drop that mic, girl. Drop that mic. Yeah. Uh, man, thank you so much. That's the perfect way to end this. Um, stay tuned, y'all. We'll be back for another one. Tap in with our folks here. We got Alma, Siponga, and Alisi. Um, how can folks tap in with y'all? Please follow um, Instagram, Pacific Islander COVID-19. Uh, we're trying to put out updated information. Um, that is information coming from the National COVID-19 Response Team. We're also on Facebook. Um, so go ahead and like that page. Um, and then one last thing is, please fill out your census if you haven't already. Yes. Uh, we can talk about these numbers now because census numbers, census data makes it available for us to look at this COVID data. Mm -hmm. So if you haven't already, please uh, uh, fill out your census, follow other Pacific Islanders on Instagram for census information also. And the numbers don't lie. No, they do not. They don't. <laughs> And as always, y'all can tap in with us for the cultures at for the cultures with a Q and a S, and also hit us up via email for the cultures at gmail.com. Uh, I am your host, D Boy. And I'm your host, Bex Bumbo. And we'll see y'all on the next episode. Peace, love, and happiness. Y'all take care. Bye.